For me, when I think about real estate investments, my first thought immediately goes to investment properties. While we discuss this option in this episode, Tanner also lays out other ways to invest in real estate that I wasn't as familiar with that may be a good fit for you and your portfolio. Welcome to the F-Sharp Podcast, presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. Co-hosts Tanner Bortnam and Adam Henning discuss various financial topics presented in a consumable and entertaining manner. Tanner is a certified financial planner, JD, and financial expert, while Adam is a marketing professional and small business owner. It's time to harmonize. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to episode 17 of the Financially Sharp podcast presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared towards making you more financially literate. I'm Adam Henning, marketing professional and small business owner, and I'm joined as always with co-host, certified financial planner, JD and financial expert Tanner Bortnam. It's the early part of April as we record it. Uh, 2022 is a quarter of the way already past. The Masters is coming up. Tanner, as an avid golfer, is this uh, is this your Super Bowl week, or, or what do you? How do you treat Masters Week? Oh yes, yes. This is the the holy grail of of golf. Um, really excited for this year. You know, as of right now, like you said, when we're recording, or maybe Tiger plays this year. It's a game time decision, supposedly. So uh, I'm not getting too optimistic i mean that'd be pretty crazy if he was there um but how cool would it be for him to come back so quickly from that accident and be able to play in this year's masters remind me of the accident it was a car accident right yeah yep yep um i don't know what i haven't followed up if they figured out if he was texting or something i know they said it wasn't alcohol induced but he was driving too fast around a um some oh, windy yeah. roads car, right? yeah I, yeah i'm not sure i can't remember but yeah around some windy roads there in california and, and went off and kind of down in this ravine and you know broke his leg pretty bad and and um so it's uh you know you need all that and it's the the flexibility you know obviously you're not you go off you're not you know running like you do you know other sports so you don't have that aspect from the bones having to heal but you do need a lot of flexing in in your ankle and your knee and in different you know joints to be able to make that that full turn that those pro athletes do and then to be able to do it at such a fast speed that they also do it at it, it puts a lot of stress on those on those joints do you have money on him <laughs> no, I'm, nope. look, I'm looking at his odds right now. Uh, uh, 6,600. He, he's such a popular golfer that uh, the news of him potentially golfing has uh, made it a popular bet. He's all the way down to plus 5,000. So. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think I saw some sports books would even refund the money if he doesn't play. So that's, you know. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be, that'd be nice if a sports book did that. Though. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, the Masters, it's, um, 
it's great. It's really, really great. Uh, it's one of my favorites, you know, um, I really love the Ryder cup, you know, as well and the president's cup, but we don't get those as often. Um, so for, for the majors, this is, this is definitely my favorite. Who you got? Oh, I, I have no idea. I, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Scotty Scheffler has been playing really well, but you know, typically the masters, I mean, I know there's always those one-offs where, you know, young person, Tiger was one of them. Um, you know, a young person could come out and just light it up because it is a, if you're playing really well, it it is an attackable course. It just, the problem is, is if you're slightly off on a lot of, uh, or any of your shots, you are, you are punished badly. And so, and then the greens from what I've heard are really, you know, really subtle breaks and different things. You can't necessarily just see, you have to play it a lot. So it tends to, um, you know, it tends to be someone with more experience that, that wins the masters or at least has played there several times to kind of start to pick up on some of those nuances. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't even really know who, who knows who, who it'll be this year. One last question before we get into this uh, episode's topic. I I remember asking a buddy, I think we were golfing in the rare times that I golf. And I, I I don't know if this was one of my own situations or or questions, or if I found it um, a poll on the internet somewhere, but I'll ask you the same scenario because Tiger Woods is involved. Would you rather golf with Tiger Woods at a city public municipal golf course or play by yourself at augusta oh dang (laughs) and i won't give you his answer until you answer yeah yeah yeah. i gotta think um i think i I think i'd rather play with tiger Uh, i i know it's a city course and augusta is amazing but like i mean tiger's the goat i know people will say that they'll disagree and think some think jack nicholas is but to me tiger's the goat and so to be able to play with that person um, that would just, that part would be really cool. So yeah, I picked playing with him. Okay. So the person that I asked immediately responded with Augusta hands down. And I said, really, as I don't, I'm not a big golfer. I don't like hate the sport, but I'm not a, a big fan. And I just said, really over playing with one of the best players of all time. Why? Why? And he just said, that it's nearly impossible to play there, and I said, "Well, you know what it's else? Nearly impossible. Nearly to impossible play with to play with Tiger Woods. <laughs> so who yeah. gives a crap where you are? You could be right. in the middle of the worst golf course in the world." Ah, I, I was like, "Well, I guess there really isn't a wrong answer, but I just thought it was interesting how he he had with conviction said it really quickly." So hmm. no, I um, yeah, I'm on the opposite side of that because it's to me it'd be yeah, Tiger would be the playing with him would be more, I mean, again, it's no disrespect to Augusta, but you know, I've played Pebble beach. Um, you know, I've played that before and, and again, no disrespect to Pebble beach, but like I would, since I've played that one, I would hands down choose playing with tiger over playing on Pebble beach. I mean, like it's beautiful. It's an amazing course. I know Augusta is another tier above, but I mean, it's just a course, like the course is beautiful and it, but to see the players do it, I mean, that, that, to me, that's kind of like, would you rather, you know, see Lambeau field 
and get to go out on the field and play catch by yourself, or would you rather catch passes from Aaron Rodgers in your backyard? Now I'm going to catch passes from Aaron Rodgers in my backyard. Like, you know, you got it's exactly. Per, it's the person. So interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, to each their own. Yeah. You know, if, if you have a different answer, send us your answer and yeah. we'll, we'll talk about it. And tell us why. <laughs> tell us why Augusta you know, should be the, the answer. Correct. Well, I guess there isn't a correct answer, but moving on. <laughs> All right, let's get into today's topic, investing in real estate options. Why don't you give us a quick overview of kind of what we'll cover in this episode? There's, um, you know, real estate's kind of the broad umbrella term. There's uh, some specific investment opportunities within that um, umbrella. So let's uh, list out some of the things that uh, you're going to go over and, and all the, the different um, pros, cons, and, and questions that uh, we should we should ask. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think first we should start by, you know, uh, shout out to one of our listeners. He's a friend of yours who sent in Oops. this request. Um, if you want to shout him out by name, Adam, by all means. Or not. Sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if he wants to know, but I'll well, just give fair. his first name. Yeah. So, so Nick, thank you for the topic. Yeah. Um, send more. Um, other listeners, send more. Um, yeah. I, I hope we cover exactly what he wants in this episode. Um, I think we're going to be a little bit more broad. Um, but I think, and I know that he's uh, a more in like, the investment properties, landlord owning um, properties and managing it himself. So yeah, well, um, we're going to make sure that we cover that. Scope. Yep, we're going to cover yep. that section. Whereas, um, you know, today's going over real estate because I get this a lot from clients as well. You know, what about real estate? What should I do there? Um, you know, diversifying your portfolio. Uh, and and just kind of going through the different options. So you know, as we kind of touched on, there's investment properties. So owning the actual property yourself, you become the landlord and you, you have tenants. Um, there are investments out there called REITs that are a real estate investment trust. Um, and then the last kind of option for uh, real estate would be there are, there are now uh, coming out real estate ETFs. And so we're just going to kind of go over all, all three of those sections, pros, cons, um, you know, give some insight to them and, and hopefully, uh, you know, leave you as the listener with more knowledge than you came with and, um, you know, being able to decipher which route is going to be best for you in, in your particular situation. Right on. So from a diversification standpoint and a portfolio standpoint, how how much would you recommend or what's a typical amount that's um, put in real estate? Uh, I would actually say most people put way too much into real estate because um, a lot of times you know they they forget that the house they live in is part of their net worth and that is a major component um, especially if you're a younger person it might be most uh, or a very large majority of your entire net worth is you know the value of your home and so a lot of people you know have way 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 more than they than they need just by owning their own home but if you get to the mm. point of wanting to add more of a percentage um you know to your overall portfolio then then these are where these you know three options are going to come in now as far as a percentage comes in i mean i i would say that i i definitely wouldn't want any more than 50 percent um of my net worth you know again that's that takes time as a younger person because you got to build up the 
investment side to match the value of your home. But once you get to that point and, and you're kind of at that, I wouldn't want to go more than 50% um, you know, into real estate. And I know they'll, there's people out there that are very, very fond of real estate and have done well in it. And that that's great. Um, and that they would disagree and want to have a lot more, but I, I wouldn't, um, I like the liquidity of not having everything tied into, you know, hard assets that are very costly to sell and take a long time to sell, you know, what, um, so I like having that flexibility for my clients. And so, um, I'd say let's try to keep it under, under 50%. Um, I want to get your standpoint on kind of a, a popular viewpoint of, of owning a house. Are you one that views the property as an asset investment, a home um, that you're living in as an asset investment or a liability? Because, <laughs> um, I mean, based off what you just said about net worth, I've, I, I would guess that you would see it as an investment or an asset. Well, I, I mean, it is. It's... It is, it's just, it's not a good investment, you know, again, historically. Now, over the last couple of years, that statement I just made is absolutely wrong. I mean, the housing market is absolutely crazy and insane. Um, the, the average cost of homes going up, um, you know, 20 plus percent per year over the last few years is unsustainable. Um, and so over the last three years, yeah, it definitely has been a great investment, but, you know, again, even with it going up, let's just say, you know, we're going to take your home, Adam and Marshall. Um, if your home went up 20% each year for three years, a lot of people will look at that and say, I crushed it. Like, look at this. And it is like, that's a great investment return, but you didn't really make 20% because you have to calculate in the mortgage and, um, interest that you're paying to carry the note that you have. You have to add in your taxes. You have to add in your insurance. You have to add in any updates that you made or anything that you had to fix. And once you start taking those things out, that 20% gets eaten away pretty quickly. You know, And again, you're still going to have a really good return. Let's say that that takes out you know, half of it for easy math. So you're at a 10% return, which is still a really good return. But you know, as you can see, that you you need huge gains like we've had over the last three years in the housing market to make your home that you're living in a good investment. If you just have regular, you know, housing market gains that are five, six percent per year, like we're normally accustomed to, well, now all of a sudden when you have six, seven, eight percent expenses each year, that isn't such a great investment. You're breaking even. You're, you're trying to just break even most of the time. So in a really hot housing market like we're in, yeah, all houses are great investments. But when we get back to normal, I would I do not think that your home is an amazing investment. It's, um, you know, it hopefully just keeps up with, you know, it, inflation and all of the costs that you have to put into it to live there. And hopefully you just kind of keep up so that when you sell it down the road, well, then you got to factor in that when you do sell it and you're going to give, um, you know, realtors between, I think, you know, six, five, six percent roughly is what that costs to sell a home these days. So factor that, you know, those tens of thousands of dollars going out the door too. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, 
there's just a lot of costs that eat into, um, you know, those, those gains that, that people have seen. From an investment standpoint or investment property standpoint, do you find that the, that vehicle is as a, for passive income, do you find that as a, a, a lower risk option or would you prefer a different investing option to real estate? Uh, now we're talking if we switch to owning a home that we rent out to someone else. Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, again, th- depending upon the size of a client's overall portfolio, because, you know, to buy a house, I mean, depending upon where you are in the country, you're looking at, I don't know, 200,000 to upwards of four or 500,000 to buy a investment property. Um, so you, you know, it has to cash flow itself. And if you can, if you can do that, it's, uh, you know, I would say it's a relatively safe investment. I mean, you're going to have, again, you're going to have, well, let's just kind of get into those. The, the, the first one we're going to go over is, are these investment properties? Um, you know, and, and it, I, I would say that I think it's, it's safer than, you know, taking a swing at a penny stock, of course, or, you know, some, um, you know, really new growth company. Um, obviously if, you know, things get bad, you still have the value of that house. Um, now we haven't seen this in a long time, but housing values can go down. Um, we have to remember that just like stocks can go down and over a long period of time, houses go up just like stocks go up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a safer cause you, it's a hard asset that you own. You can go, you can go to it. You know, people like that where stocks it's, you know, Oh, I own Apple. It's kind of nebulous. They don't, you know, you don't send out the stock certificates anymore. So people don't have something to hold on to. Um, so I know why people like real estate. Um, but you know, there's a lot more work that comes into it. You know, if you own Apple, you just own Apple and yep. Apple goes up and down as it goes up and down. And over a long period of time, Apple has made its investors very wealthy. Um, and it pays you a dividend to sit there and own it every quarter. Whereas, you know, if you have a house that you're renting out, um, you either, you have to hire a property manager, which has a cost, or you have to be the property manager and, you know, go find the tenants, which is work. And if things break, then you have to have someone come fix it, which is a cost and a time, um, of you taking time out of your day uh, from work or whatever you're doing to do that. Um, you have taxes, you have insurance, you have wear and tear on the house. I mean, even if you have great tenants, they're still utilizing the stuff. So it's going to wear down. So you have to replace things. Um, you know, so again, on a, on a, a year by year basis, I think people get kind of, you know, transfixed a little bit by that big shiny number that they can get by looking at, oh, well, if I buy this house and I get X in rent, I'm going to make this and that's an amazing return. And they don't always factor in all the expenses and the wear and tear and the, you know, and the time that you have to spend um, finding that tenant and, and, and dealing with all of this and all of that has value. And so again, I'm not saying clients shouldn't buy or, or anyone listening to this shouldn't buy a, a investment property. It's just, I want to make sure people are looking at the whole picture well, you know, before making that, that jump, um, you know, because owning stocks is a lot easier. 
I mean, they, like I said, they just do their own thing. There is no wear and tear on Apple. You don't have to find a tenant for Apple. You just own it and it just does its stuff. And, you know, you don't have a property manager for Apple. Apple does its thing. They hire all the people, you know, and so um, it, it is a lot more work. But if you can get a property at a really good value, that's where you can make good money on, on investments, just like anything. If you buy it at a good value, um, you have a lot higher chance of, of getting good good value. But um, kind of wanted to make sure I, I touch on all things with that. So, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, the pros of having an investment property um, are, you know, it's physical, you can go to it, you know it's there. Um, in a market decline, typically houses don't go down. They do hold their value better than the stock market does. Um, again, that's typically, now if you remember 2007, 2008, you know, I'm down here in Phoenix, houses got absolutely crushed. So um, it's not a guarantee, but it, it typically they will they'll hold their value better in a down market. Um, some other positives on investment properties are their tax uh, deductions. Uh, working with your CPA, you can, um, you know, write off some of, of the value. You can depreciate the value of the home over a set period of years, which helps you um, on your taxes, especially if you're a high income earner or have a lot of taxes in, in particular years. That's a really good um, strategy to, to utilize. Uh, but remember on the flip side, you will then pay more in capital gains tax when you sell it. So, you know, it's not like that tax just goes away. You're just kind of borrowing from one year and paying more in, in a, in a future year. Um, and the other last key, that's really uh, a really good deal for owning an investment property is what's called a 1031 exchange. Um, so for, Anyone who owns investment property or is looking at doing this, you definitely want to have a, a CPA and a financial advisor that are well aware and well versed in this. It's a it's a tax code provision, tax code 1031. Uh, what it allows you to do is if you buy a house, you know, or if you bought a house five years ago and it's an investment property, and you've been renting it out, renting out, and you say, I, you know, I want to sell this, and you bought it at two hundred fifty thousand. And now it's worth five hundred thousand. Well, you would have five hundred, or you'd have two hundred fifty thousand dollars of capital gains to pay to sell that house. But if you're still wanting to stay in the investment world, uh, investment property world, you can take that five hundred thousand, and as long as you buy another property within a set period of time, I believe it's hundred and eighty days, might be ninety, hundred. Anyways. Um, there's a set period of time that you need to buy another investment property of 500,000 or more. And then you don't pay any of the taxes on that sale. So you're deferring the sale or the, the capital gains tax of the sale of the first property until a future year. So you can kick that tax, um, you know, kind of kick that can down the road and which is really can also be a really advantageous tax strategy. Again, depending upon, um, where your taxes are and if you're in a higher bracket in the year that you're going to sell it. So uh, those are all the good things. Some of the cons, we talked about them. Uh, you know, it's it's more work. You have to find tenants. Um, or if you don't want to do that, you have to hire a property manager and, you know, they're at 10, 15, 20% of the income. Uh, you're going to have 
things that break, wear and tear, updates that you have to pay, you have taxes you have to pay, uh, insurance that you have to pay. And then when it does come time to want to sell the house, um, you know, it takes some time. It's not like a stock where you can just sell it and have money within three days. It's, you know, it takes time to sell a house. And even in a hot market like it is now, you know, you could put your house on the market and it sells the next day. You still have a 30 plus day closing window, hoping that everything goes through and that the closing doesn't fall through and that uh, you don't have to re-put it on the market. So it just takes some time and then there's a lot higher costs. I mean, it costs five, six percent to sell a house that goes to, um, you know, realtor fees um, and and whatnot. So, you know, and then the closing costs and different things. So it's it's an expensive transaction to sell a house. So um, just, you know, keep all those things in mind if you're thinking about buying a rental property or if you have a rental property um, so that you make sure that you're you're calculating out the the true um, you know net gain that you're gonna get from that rent. Uh, you know, take into account all these negatives, uh, you know, and, and other expenses, and make sure you're factoring those things in um, so that you you have that that true value. Right. Yeah. Vestopedia says 180 days. 180 days per on the 1031. 1031. Yep. Yep. So yeah, it's important to to figure out that net margin instead of just looking at the gross margin because there's a lot that goes into it. And if you've got a great procedure, great uh, strategy and process of of calculating all that time, if you have the skills to to be the property manager and, and fix some stuff, I mean, then your margin grows. So um, It does, it, but you still have to factor in your time. Right, right, right. right. Um, so that's, those are important factors to keep in mind. Um, and I'm going to kind of lead this into the next, um, item. If you, uh, don't have anything else to add on investment properties, but is there a way to, and I'm guessing just basing on, um, reading up on it, a way to invest in real estate, but not have as much of the management, um, day to day management, um, yep duties yep. and that's what REITs are, correct? Correct. Yeah, that's actually uh, what both of the next two options are going to be. Um, so we'll start with REITs. Uh, just on the outset, I will let all listeners know this is, in my opinion, the worst of the three. Um, I am not a big fan of REITs and, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, and that's an acronym. Correct. Yep. REIT stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. So what it is, is it's a a company will put together a trust that has, you know, tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars in it, and it will go buy properties. So it'll go buy investment properties, apartment buildings, and and uh, you know, commercial buildings, and some of them even buy individual houses. And it just kind of depends what their specialty is, um, doctors' offices, different things like that, and and then uh, you know, you as the investor can buy into this REIT. So you're a part owner of this trust. So you don't have to worry about the management costs or, or the, the management of it. Cause obviously the, the REIT does that and they collect all the rents and they pay the taxes and they do all of that for you. And then they kick out a dividend to you. Uh, you know, depends quarterly or annually or however they have it set up. Each trust can set it up how they want. 
Um, so on this one, you know, the, the pros are, are going to be the opposite. You don't have that day-to-day -day management. You don't have to find the tenants. You don't have to um, you know, worry about that. And you still have exposure to real estate and investment properties. And you do get, you know, a lot of them kick out a, a pretty good dividend too. So, you know, the income that you're going to get out of this, um, they do, they do a pretty good job with, with that. Uh, now the negatives, in my opinion, outweigh the positives. And this is why I don't like REITs. So the first problem with a REIT is it is, it is a highly commissionable product by advisors. So typically if you meet an advisor who likes REITs, it is because they are a commissioned advisor and they're getting paid a big fat check every time that you or someone else buys into the REIT that they're selling. Uh, and because of this, because these advisors get big commissions for this, you as the owner are going to get stuck with a surrender penalty or a surrender period, I should say. And what that means is, you know, a year or two years from now, if you want to get out, you're going to have to pay a penalty because you're getting out too early. Now, each REIT can, again, set it up. Typically, it's, you know, five years or more that there's this surrender period where you cannot get out. So it makes it illiquid for the first X amount of years, which I don't like. I like clients' money being able to do with it what they want when they want and and not be tied up into these things so um i don't like either of of you know obviously those things um and then the last part i'm not a big fan of with reits as well is they have what are called redemption periods so let's say you've owned this reit for 10 years and and now you want to get out you're well outside of your surrender period so there's no penalty you have to request to the REIT to get your money out and then they will um, potentially honor that at the next um, the next redemption date which some of them are quarterly some of them are semi-annually and so you may have to wait you know up to six months to to see if you get your money and then again um, they will redeem your shares to you on this redemption date if they have the cash available at the time. And I have you know, seen situations where that hasn't happened. So then you have to wait till the next redemption date. And then if the cash is available, then they'll pay you out. So where this comes in and is also bad is, let's say uh, you happen to buy into a REIT that doesn't do very well, because that, that can happen. It's an investment. Well, there's going to be a lot of investors trying to get their money out and it's, you know, kind of a first come first serve basis. And so if you're down the list a little ways and if the REIT doesn't have enough money to get you out of there, come, you know, money coming in from the rent uh, that they have on their properties to, to get everyone out that wants out, you just sit there and wait in line and keep moving up and moving up closer to getting out. But it may take six another six months or a year or two years you know who knows it depends how how poorly the read itself is doing so again i don't like that for any of my clients because even when you are outside of a surrender period you still don't know when you're going to be able to get your money you're, you're really just kind of at the mercy of the REIT and how well it's doing and and when basically when they want to give you your money back um so 
they they do pay good dividends um you know and they have a lot of you know really great presentation and you know it just it's a i i would tell people buyer beware uh be very very aware if you are thinking about buying into reits um or if you have you know an advisor you're speaking with that likes them or wants you to use them just be very cautious because you know they're 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 not in my like i said they're not in my opinion the the best thing out there i'd rather see you just go buy a house um and i know there's more work to it but at least you own that and there's not a huge commission you know going to uh the advisor selling it to you so is it strictly through the advisor but because before this i i be fairly honest, I'd never heard of a REIT. So yeah. how does one come across that? Is that private solicitation or is it through a financial advisor or? Yeah, uh, the only ones I am aware of are through financial advisors. I am not, I'm not sure if, you know, you, Adam, as an individual ind- investor could go out and find a REIT company and say, I want to invest. Um, that, that, could be i don't know um because i don't i don't use them um you know i get calls from uh reit wholesalers all the time trying to get me to utilize their products and i i don't take meetings with them because i i don't like i don't like the the structure of them you know um, you know even sure. if even if you can avoid the commission to the advisor uh, that helps make it better but i still don't like the fact that you are, you know, locked into it because there's still maybe a surrender chart or, or a surrender period on it. Even if you don't go through an advisor, I'm not sure. So you'd have to look into that, um, which I don't like that. And then the other aspect I don't like about them is only being able to get out on redemption days if the REIT has cash to get you out. Um, you know, I don't want to set up a financial plan for a client and, and have us expecting to get money out of something six months from now and then be told from that investment no no you got to wait another year like that doesn't really fit with the financial plan so um yeah i don't i don't like i've said i I don't like them but i'm not sure if you as the individual investor could go direct to a reit and uh purchase those isn't there crowdfunding type is that a, a REIT? Ah, uh, yeah. I'm through? not sure if those are structured as REITs. I have seen those. Um, like Fundrise, yes, I think, is yes, one. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I've seen commercials for that one. That was the one I was trying to think of. Um, I Again, I haven't done any research on that. It's not stuff I do for clients. It's not something I do personally. Um, so I don't know how they are set up um, as far as something like Fundrise. Interesting. Yeah, because I think I've seen the same thing and was like, hey, that's kind of an interesting mm-hmm. thing, but didn't dig any deeper. Yeah. But well, and, hey, major f- future topic. Well, and, and, and you know, the, the reason REITs were set up was exactly what you said is people don't, you know, so, some people don't want to have the burden of actually owning the property and having to find tenants and, you know, do all of that work. And so these REITs were created because... You can pool a bunch of people's... Oh, well, and, and actually the other aspect I should state too is a lot of these REITs are geared around commercial properties. So, I mean, they're buying apartment complexes mm-hmm. that are 
$10 million worth. Well, you know, not a lot of people out there have $10 million sitting around to go buy their own apartment complex. To, oh, you don't? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a way to get in, you know, and have exposure to commercial sure. buildings that are otherwise out of the price range to just purchase on your own. Uh, so, you know, a good idea in my opinion. It just now let's move to this third one. And I think this is the improvement if you don't want to be in a, you know, if you don't want to actually own the property or you want some exposure to commercial properties is just go buy a real estate ETF. Um, to me, this is where you want to be. This is where I will talk with clients about. We have a little bit of exposure in client portfolios to real estate ETFs, um, you know, depending upon how much they have in in their own portfolio based on the value of their own home uh, plus any investment properties that they have, but it's, it will get you the same. It gets you kind of that same uh, aspect you're looking for in a REIT where I don't have to actually own this, or I'm able to get exposure to commercial properties that I otherwise couldn't afford to buy a commercial building without all of the strings attached that a REIT comes with. Um, you know, there, there isn't surrender penalties in an ETF. If you wanted to, you theoretically could buy it today and sell it tomorrow. Probably not the best strategy if you're buying, you know, trying to buy into real estate because that's a long-term play, but you theoretically can do that. There's no, no surrender schedule. Um, you can get out, it's liquid. You can get out whenever you want. Um, and it does a lot of the same things, you know, as a, a REIT does, it'll pay out the dividend, um, you know, monthly, quarterly, depending upon the, the ETF itself. Um, and so it, for for people who don't want to buy that property themselves and manage it, I think this is going to be your best option um, in terms of, of still having some exposure to real estate. Uh, I suppose we can't give any recommendations, but how many different options for real estate ETFs are there? Um, it's, it's a growing sector. Uh, I mean, there's, I'll say a lot. <laughs> um, is it just like, is it a mixture of communications, real estate, medical, or, or what's, what's uh, making yeah. up those ETFs? Well, it, it'll depend. It depends on the ETF. So you can go out and okay. find index. You know, this is going to kind of go along the lines of a previous episode we did discussing the differences in ETFs between index active management um, you, you can go out and find an index um, real estate ETF that's just going to follow the housing market in general. Um, and it, you know, with that, it likely it's not going to actually own um, physical assets. It's just following that housing market. Uh, so you could do that. It's going to be low cost. Um, and that could have, you know, you could follow the index for just uh uh, residential housing or you know you can find one for commercial properties you know combination of both or there are companies out there that have actively managed etfs that will um you know go out and and you know they're actually buying the assets or they're tracking they're tracking something that is actually buying the assets and so you can um you know custom tailor that to what you want if you're just looking at for commercial properties you can find something for that um or or just residential or you know again just depends on what you're looking for you can find it there's there's a lot of a lot of etfs and the, and the sector continues to grow seems like uh 
best of both worlds. Yeah. I mean, like I said, for, for me, it's, uh, uh, you know, I understand the appeal of having an investment property, uh, you know, especially like, I, I think the best, uh, option for having owning an actual investment property is if it's something where, um, like I'll use an example for, you know, some clients that, 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 you know, here in, here in Phoenix and kind of this area, you know, they live in Phoenix and they wanted to buy an investment property in Flagstaff because they enjoy going to Flagstaff and vacationing there from time to time. So that makes sense to me because that investment property can be Airbnb'd while they're not there and earn them money. But yet it's also a vacation home. It's kind of a dual purpose thing. Um, yeah, so I think that is really the the perfect solution, you know, if, if people are, are looking for that. Um, but there's just there's just people that love real estate and they want to have that house, and that that's okay too. I think that that you know is, is a good option to ha- own the actual investment property. But if you're not in that boat, you know, just make it easy on yourself and go get the ETF. Um, the one, uh, you know, from this that we've gone over option from this. Uh, podcast that we've gone over is you know be very wary of REITs um, with having the ETF option I, I don't really know why someone would would buy a REIT uh, in today's day and age is there a financing difference between um, owning that house as a second house versus owning it as an income property or um, does tax man not care as as far as trying to think you're talking like from a cpa and a tax deduction standpoint right that's an area that you just laid out yeah um Um, using it kind of with both no it would be as long as you're not utilizing it too much and it becomes your primary which if you have a different home that'd be very difficult for you to do um it would be an investment property and most most of the time would be spent um with it being an investment property there may be some caveats this is getting into cpa expertise and not my expertise but there may be some caveats where let's say if you're up there 30 days out of the year they're they can only deduct 11 out of 12 months worth of expenses or different things like that where it's being utilized for investment property rather than personal use sure. um but for the most part uh other than those small minute things no there shouldn't be um too many tax differences yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the the investment properties for me has always been an appeal. The The downside was always the time, yep. the energy. Yep. Um, but I do like it in the sense of the Airbnb part of it is I want to enjoy it too, but also utilize it. So yeah. I can see that as the tipping point of, of, investing in that for that reason yeah instead of or maybe in addition to the the etf stuff right when and one thing too i'd suggest you know if for anyone looking to do this if you're gonna buy the actual property uh, and particularly if you're not gonna do the vacation side of things like i had a uh, a rental um you know i sold it this past summer and and the reason i sold it was it, it became too much too much of a pain in the butt um you know it was I'm in Phoenix. It was in Flagstaff. I had great tenants, great tenants. They always paid on time. Nothing broke. And I'm like, okay, well, first off here, 
uh, you know, the pendulum is going to swing. This was too perfect for too long that eventually something is going to break or we're going to get terrible tenants that, you know, trash the house or annoy the neighbors or, you know, whatever it is. And, and it was in Flagstaff. So anytime that there's something that would potentially go wrong, it's a three hour trip for me, you know, and that's not something that I can do easily. So if you're looking at doing, um, you know, having an investment property, do yourself a favor and try to get something close to you and convenient so that you don't have to hire that property manager and you can just do it uh, yourself. You know, you can run, and, and especially Airbnb with people coming in and out and you got to clean and do all that stuff, like make it as easy as you can and keep it close to you so that you can run in, clean the house real quick, get out or else, you know, every time you add a cleaning service and a property manager and all these different things, you're just adding more and more and more fees on top of this that eat into your profits. Um, so try to have it be as close as, as you can to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would be a, a even an interesting um, exit strategy almost if you're close to retirement. I know somebody that's kind of, slipped his way as he took took a step out of um his full-time job and um replaced that with more properties to manage and then he just became full-time property manager um and used that as a way to kind of substitute his day-to-day so sure yep oh and that's yeah i just thought of some people love that of our, oh. our yeah no, no no um people like working hands-on and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I thought of uh, <laughs> a, a, a topic for a future discussion. Of, oh, yeah? Of like, oh, Airbnb, you know, timeshares. Oh, goodness, timeshares. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. hey, quickly, but is like a re is a timeshare part of that REIT? No. Or would it be? No. Or is it just a, a private company that owns those and just sells them? Yes. It yeah. Sells timeshares. Yeah. That's that's different episode and yeah, different uh <laughs> different topic. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Anything else that you wanna <laughs> wanna add? Um, I've got uh I'm out of questions. I hope we we covered everything that uh Nick was looking for. Yeah. I hope we did as well for Nick, gave him some better ideas and, and all of our listeners. Um once again, thanks for uh, you know, the request of, of something to go over for a topic, Nick. Uh, otherwise, no, I, I may think that hits most of it. If anyone has any, you know, more specific questions based on their obviously situation, you know, write into us. Um, but otherwise, I, I think we we hit all the high level, high level things. Of, of There's the certainly questions that go to, you know, the day to day management. Obviously, we're not going to really cover right. that just because we're not experts. I think my questions always are geared towards how do I finance it? How do I move it? And how do I avoid tax implications when I move it or sell it or invest in the next thing? So that's hopefully what we covered. Correct. Um, yep. So, all right, that's it for uh, episode 17, Real Estate Options. Uh, we hope this episode has been helpful. As always, thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, please like, subscribe, leave us a review. If you are listening on Spotify, please give us a five-star review. We would greatly appreciate that. Um, we, Tanner and I are committed to continuously providing the most accurate and relevant content to our listeners. This episode was a, a, a topic presented by uh, a listener. So if you have a topic that you want us to discuss, please 
shoot us your question or suggestions at podcast at financiallysharp.com podcast at financiallysharp.com thanks for listening again we'll see you in the next episode This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, tax, financial, or other professional services. Investment advisory services are offered through Harmony Wealth, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact Harmony Wealth at 602-935-5155 or at HarmonyWealthAZ.com. Nice work.